We're going to be in Ruth chapter 4. If you turn in your Bibles with me, we're winding down our series on Ruth. And the, the main theme is how does God care and love for his people, for ordinary people, uh, from ordinary places. And what we're seeing is it's, it's through the love of others that, that God brings us to an awareness of his love, that he is silently and sovereignly working in the background for our good. And so today we're going to get the conclusion. So it's Ruth chapter 4. Give you a minute to get there. The last two messages in this series will be a character study of a booth, of a booth, Boaz and Ruth. Let's try that again. <laughs> so it'll. Ruth chapter 4, this is God's word. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of, bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion, and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have taken to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. 
And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And this is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you would use our time this morning to help us see your grace, to see that, to see our plight without a Redeemer, and to, to rejoice in the shadow of death, uh, this, this great living hope that you have given us through the resurrection of Jesus. So may your spirit give us eyes to see, ears to hear, uh, soft hearts that are melted by your love, that we would be willing to, to follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite stories to think about around Christmas time, I know we're not there yet, but the commercials are, so you have to think about it, is uh, Children of Men. It's it's a, it was a movie about 10 years ago, and here's the premise of Children of Men. It's a great, it's a great story, gospel story. It's at the year 2027, and there have been no children born for the last 18 years. It's a science fiction, but in the story, scientists are baffled. The doctors are helpless. Uh, all the pray, praying and repenting, I mean... There is no more kids. The youngest citizen in the world is 18. And he was just killed. And people who never even knew this guy are crying. Because the human race are dealing with the reality that everything they do is going to come to an end. I mean, everyone's dealing with this. There's graffiti on the wall that says, the last one here, please turn out the lights. Morbid humor. And in this world, only Britain, it must be a British author, only Britain has been able to control and, and contain the chaos. Every other nation has fallen apart. And so what they've done is, well, they, all the British citizens are protected, and if you're a refugee, if you're a foreigner, you're not as welcome. There's a strict process to get in. And what's fascinating is how all these people are dealing with the loss of hope. There's rooting, uh, rioting and looting. There's war and violence. Um, you have religious people on the corner with their placards, repenting. Uh, there's others with penance, beating themselves. You know, they're doing, everybody's doing everything they can imagine, turning to what they think will fix the problem. Um, drugs, alcohol, self-medicating. And all, what this story does, it paints this bleak picture that everything has an expiration date that everyone with a name is dealing with the reality that they will be forgotten. Because, I mean, stop and think about it. How can you enjoy beauty when you know it's going to come to an end? How can you enjoy great art? Right? This one guy has saved the statue of, of, of David by Michelangelo. And it's just there as a sick reminder that no one else is going to be able to see it again. Right? 
This is where we find Naomi. She's alive, but her hopes have just been completely shattered. And until we get to this chapter, she has no hope of resurrection. She has no hope of things getting better because she's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. Uh, there are no grandsons. Her na- the family name is going to be forgotten. The family tree stops with her and Elimelech. It's bleak. That's why, she, that's why when we started this series, we focused on her bitterness because she's saying, I don't know how, how God could do this to me. That, that her hope, her, her joy has been ripped away by the curse of what, what sin has done, death. That her family is going to become nameless. And so as we look at this chapter, this is what we're talking about. It's talking about names and legacy and hope and how they intersect. Will, will your name be remembered? What is your legacy? What legacy are you leaving behind? I mean, how would people answer that question? You're, are they going to remember your work, uh, your name on a tower, uh, your family, how you, how you loved your spouse? That's the positive way of looking at it. Um, look at the negative side. Are they going to remember the bad decisions? as Naomi obviously is doing. Remembering, why did we go to Moab? It all fell apart. <coughs> the hurt you caused. Right. Because we have these names that have been recorded for over 3,000 years, but for most of us, unless we do something extraordinarily awesome or extraordinarily foolish, <laughs> we're going to be forgotten within a couple generations. But look at the names, Aminadab, Perez, Hezron. I mean, in God's economy, names are remembered. Names are everything. Names are important. That people, the world considers nobodies, that actually become the centerpiece of what God is doing in the world to restore hope to the hopeless. I mean, to the point where when we get to the end of this chapter, in light of the shadow of death, we find everybody rejoicing. Even though they're fully aware that little beautiful Obed, a few days later, or a few days old, he too is mortal. And so the question that we're going to look at this morning is, how do people like us, people from, from a normal town, a normal place, how do nobodies get a name that lasts? A name that also gives us a power to smile, to celebrate, to rejoice, even in the shadow of death. If, if we were in Britain in the children of men, if that was our story, you know, to be at peace, even as we grieve. And so let's look at it. We're going to look at what's in a name, what kind of name are the characters are talking about, and then we're going to look at where the name that lasts. And so let's go through the chapter. What's in a name? Boaz here has done something that we're still talking about for thousands of years later. And you remember the situation, because we're coming to the end, that Naomi has no future. And that Ruth, out of love for her mother-in-law, has teamed up with Boaz to give Naomi a hope, to give Naomi a future through marriage. That they are both fully aware that when they get married, any children they have will not be theirs. It's going to be Naomi's, to give her a future, to give her a hope. 
all their children. I mean, picture the family tree of, of Naomi and Elimelech. They have these two sons, Malon and Kilion. They die. Boaz, what he has done is coming in through Ruth is saying, I'm going to keep Elimelech's family tree going. All these kids that would come from Ruth are going to have Elimelech's last name, so to speak. That's, that's a, an amazing act of love. And so that's where we are as we come to the gate, the gate of Bethlehem. Because the problem is, even though Boaz has promised he wants to marry Ruth, there's someone else in between them. There's another redeemer. And the way the law worked was the closest family relative had first dibs on the land. And so I know to our Western ears, as we think about Ruth being packaged with the land, this is, just got to say, this is a different culture. They're not selling her into slavery. It's just the way that they cared for, for widows and orphans. And it's to care for the, the, those who are afflicted. Right, but they had this closer relative, and so they, Boaz, as he promised in chapter 3, goes to the city gate. He gathers, he grabs the Redeemer, he grabs the elders. This is, how, this is like their town hall. They're about to make a business deal, and they have to have witnesses. Right, we would sign a paper, but they, they needed uh, people right there to be able to attest to it. And so as we jump into this, I had to point something out here in, chapter, in verse 2 of chapter 4. Because when Boaz sees this redeemer walking into town to do his business for the day, he call, your text probably says friend. That's what mine says. Boaz says, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. Which is a very polite cleaning up of what the Hebrew says. They call this guy Mr. So-and-so in the original language. He doesn't have a name. And so it's a, it's a subtle jab at this guy who's about to do something foolish and be forgotten. It's, it's letting you know, you know this guy, he's, he's important to the story, but he's Mr. So-and-so, Mr. What's-His-Face. We don't, we don't remember who he is. He's nameless. And what does he do that's so foolish? Well, Boaz tells him, look, you have, you got to picture this. The whole town has been talking about Ruth's love. Everybody knows, it seems like he is the only guy in Bethlehem who's completely clueless as to what Ruth and, and Naomi have gone through and what Ruth has done for them. And Boaz says, look, Naomi from Moab is selling this land that belonged to Elimelech. And what this guy heard was, okay, I can expand my property and the only thing I have to do is pay for it right now and care for Naomi, the widow, and because she's old, in a few years, that the land will be in the free and clear and everything's mine. It's an easy way to get richer. Dollar signs kind of light up in his eyes. I get a bigger kingdom, a bigger name, more value. He's important. And so Boaz has him on the hook. <laughs> he says, great, I'll redeem it. <coughs> and then Boaz, because he's a smart business guy, lets out the whole truth. It says, all right, great. If you're going to redeem it, the moment you pay for this field, you have to take Ruth the Moabite to come along and she will be your wife. And any kids you have will not be yours. And the land that you are buying will then go to any kids you have. Right, so you see how this works? So this is what Boaz is making very clear to us and to him, that you're going to spend some money, you're going to marry a foreign widow, you're going to care for an older lady. You're going to work really hard. 
and not have it, it's not going to affect your bottom line. You're going you're gonna to spend and spend and spend. And relationally, there's a payoff, but financially, there's not. Boaz is playing, let's make a deal. You've seen the show, right? Where you got to choose between a couple suitcases. I mean, suitcase number one is, is buy this field, care for an older, older lady, and then you're, in the end, you're $100,000 richer. And deal number two, buy a field, marry Ruth, care for a young wife or kids, and give away the field. And the money that you spend will actually come out of the savings account for your other kids. So you're going you're gonna to get smaller. And so deal number one is think of your name, think of how great you could be. And deal number two is out of love, think about, think about these people in need. And so Mr. So-and-so says, realizing this isn't going to be in his best advantage, he says, I'm out. You can have it. I'm, I'm not taking any of the deals. You got it. I don't, it's going to impair my inheritance is what he says. So he's thinking about money. He's thinking about legacy, his future. And so what you're seeing here is how God's kingdom works. The guy who wants to become great, who wants to elevate himself, becomes Mr. So-and-so, the nameless guy. And the guy who wants to love, spends and spends and spends, becomes less, and he's the one who's remembered. He's the one who becomes great, who becomes renowned in all of Israel. And so here's what I want you to see as we think about what's in a name. Put it in money, it makes it really personal to us as Westerners. We don't think in terms of land, we think in terms of money. But when you think about your name and money and how they go, everybody is working to make a name for themselves. And if you're not working, you're thinking about how you can work to get a name for yourself. To be somebody. To build a legacy, to build a legacy that lasts, that, fe- that I feel like I am not just wasting my time when I get out of bed in the morning. Because to have a name, it's immensely personal. It's to be noticed, it's to be valued, it's to be significant. Um, I mean, this community values names. That's why we don't want big corporations to come into Boston Spa. That's what we read about as we were getting ready. Right? We want mom and pop to own the shop so that we can know who they are and trust them. Right? Or young people, what do we dream about? I mean, when I was a kid, it was always about winning, hitting the game-winning shot. Or hit the game-winning home run, right? To be on the Cubs. To, to finally have hope restored once again. And then have to earn it, prove yourself again next year. <laughs> Making money. I mean, people leave places like Boston Spa because they want to make a name for themselves. They go to the bigger cities. I want to become somebody, and I can't, I can't make enough money here. I can't, can't find the right person, you know, so I'm going I'm to leave. Or it's families. I mean, this is the world of Boaz and, and Ruth, that family is everything. It's no different today. I mean... People move back to Boston Spa because it's a great place to raise kids. That's probably been the most common thing we've heard from people outside of the church about why they came back. And what Naomi does, her story, and what Mr. So-and-so does, 
is they shock us and say, look, whatever you're using to make a name for yourself has an expiration date. That your hope, what you're, what you're banking on to make you famous and renowned, to be somebody in your little world, it's going to be taken away. I mean, they're, they're physical embodiments of Ecclesiastes, a meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And he says, there's no remembering the former people or things, nor will people in the future remember what happened. They're just saying that the way of the world is death. The shadow of death always looms, and it's controlling everything we do. So how do you build a name for yourself when nothing lasts? You got Mr. So-and-so living for the bottom line. He's forgotten. You got Naomi and Elimelech living for family and success. He's in danger of being forgotten. What do you do? Because here's how the world outside of the church is, is, is think, are thinking about these things. This is a good definition of hope that I've heard that helps us. That, that hope, what we do is we wake up and we look outside at the world and we say, okay, what's going to... What can I do today that's going to make my life worth living? And so here's a definition of hope. This is from a guy, I think, at Yale. He says, it's the way that we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending and doing is just keeping ourselves busy while we wait to die. I'll read it again, just in case you didn't get it. He said, it's the way we overcome, the way we try and deal with our nagging doubts that everything we do in relationships and with our money and our stuff is really just keeping ourselves busy until we die. Building a name for ourselves. You know, we look at, look at our bank account and say, oh, because I have enough money there, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I mean, hope is the story we tell ourselves that our name means something. Success, power, family, money, legacy, you know, these kind of things. And Naomi says, would tell you, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And if you're going to change, change baskets, so to speak, <laughs> look at Mr. So-and-so. Or look at how the book of Ruth ends with a whole list of names. Hezron, Ram, Aminadab. These are all people who lived and died. Their hopes went with them. So what's going to redeem our story? What keeps our name going? Because in a name is our legacy, our future, our hope. So if you look at verses 11 and 12, what happens is Boaz, I mean, everyone recognizes this amazing act of love. He's selflessly worked himself for Elimelech's family to, to perpetuate to make their name last. He's made himself poorer for their sake, and everyone just explodes in praise. And like at a wedding, we, I mean, we, we wish people the best. I mean, they, start, they start wishing blessings on this new, new couple, Boaz and Ruth. And they, they pray that God would make his wife great, right? that, that Boaz's name would be famous and renowned, and that he would have a legacy that lasts. You see that? They're praying for God's blessing on Ruth, on Boaz, and on their future kids. 
This is the kind of name that, that everybody's thinking, that, that we're, we're to aim at. Because first, look at verse, verse 11. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. Rachel and Leah, well, you've got to go back in the, the history of, of Israel, right? The father of the nation is Abraham, who had a, two sons, his son Isaac, and then he had a son, Jacob, Israel, who, Jacob, who was re- later renamed Israel. In Israel, Jacob had 12 sons through Rachel and Leah. And so what they are saying and what they're praying for Boaz is saying, may you not only have lots of kids, right? may you have a big family, but may you, may your family be eternally significant. Because Israel, it's God's people, people of his own possession. Israel are the family that God had chosen to bring the Messiah into the world, to bless all the nations of the earth. And so they are praying for Boaz and Ruth that may your family, may Ruth be famous because her sons are eternally significant, just like Rachel and Leah in this long list of famous family members in God's family. And you look at the story in Genesis 28 and 29. Do Rachel and Leah do anything significant? They fight for the love and attention of their, their husband because polygamy just messes everything up. Right? Jacob played favorites. Well, They had kids. They lived their lives. And they're, they're saying, may you be like them. May your children be eternally significant. And then they pray, second, the, the Boaz, may you be famous in Bethlehem, but that's already, that's pretty much done with what he's, what he set himself up here. And the other confusing part that we need to talk about is, may your offspring, may your children be like Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And this is a story that, that's from Genesis 38. It's not a, a well-known story. It's one of those where you're, you, you've got all the, the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and at the ends with the story of Joseph, but in between is this weird story about Tamar and Judah. But what, <laughs> this is funny, this is, I want you to see why Tamar is mentioned. We've got to go through the story here. This is a picture of how God loves his people. And they're praying that God would bless their children, that they would have a redemptive legacy, a redemptive name. And Tamar is a Canaanite, a foreigner. Right, so what, here's what happened. Judah, one of Jacob's sons, Judah had three sons. The first one was Ur, and he married Tamar, and he was wicked and he died. It says God killed him. And so the law of the land says uh, Ur's brother is supposed to rise up and give him children. These are the things we've been talking about the last couple weeks. So Onan, the second son, he's supposed to go in and, and give Tamar children for the sake of his brother. And he didn't want to, so God killed him. He died. And so Judah, the father, is looking at Tamar as this black widow. He keeps killing her sons. And he has a third son. Sheila, he said, he promises Tamar, I will send you my third son 
all the while not planning on it. So he holds, holds the son back because he doesn't want to bury another child. Time goes on. Tamar has figured out that Judah isn't going to do the right thing. Judah's wife has died. He's grieving, and it sets up this uh, immoral situation where Tamar deceives Judah, pretends like she's a prostitute, and Judah gets her pregnant. And she, cleverly beforehand, actually got proof that Judah was the father. Right. And out of this relationship, she had twins, Perez. And Perez is the redemptive son. You see how weird of a prayer this is? Any of you prayed this blessing for your kids? May you be like Perez, whose mom was Tamar, uh, an outsider that God brought in. And we don't go to weddings and say, may you have 12 strapping sons, because we don't value kids the same way here in the West. We say, may your kids be successful, may they be doctors, may they be lawyers, may they have lots of money and send you nice places when you're retired. Right. But think about this, Perez, you follow the, the family tree, he's from the line of Judah, and God had already promised that from Judah is going to come the Messiah. Right. So they're praying that from Boaz and Ruth, may the Messiah, the Messianic line, Keep going. And that's how you get a name that lasts, by being connected, being part of God's family through faith in the coming Messiah. I mean, they're praying, may God use your name, your family, for his glory to make his name known among the nations. It's a pretty amazing prayer in weird language, in ways we wouldn't put it. How do you pray for your kids and the kids around you here in the church? I mean, I've heard plenty of stories where parents will raise them in the church. But when it comes to sending them overseas, for example, yeah, that's too big of a sacrifice. We're, there's nothing wrong with praying for your kids' health and wealth and success, and we wish them all the best. But what... One of the things that, that this teaches us is we ought to pray for our kids to be redemptively significant, that God would bless them and use their good and bad decisions to bring them into his family so they would see that their name will last in Christ. I mean, Tamar. Judah says she's more righteous than him. I mean, that's a whole different sermon, but... It's a picture that God, this, she's in Jesus' family tree. It's, he, it's quoted in Matthew. That God uses all of our decisions to give us a legacy in Christ through the Messiah. I just want to encourage you, may my family's successes and sufferings and failures, all, our life experience, may God use that to make us renowned. Not for what we've done, but because God has brought us into his family. May it be true for them. So we've seen what's in a name, it's a legacy, and we're seeing that in, in the line of a Messiah, there's a redemptive legacy, one that lasts. But this is a little bit about more than that, it's a bigger picture, because it ends with these, it ends with a, a bigger name, a more important name, a name that will last. 
So look at it, verses 13 to 17. We got Boaz taking Ruth. Uh, she gets pregnant. She has a son. His name is Obed. I mean, this really is the happy ending, right? the fairy tale ending, so to speak. That God, in ways that Naomi could never have imagined, uh, has given her back everything she's lost. Not, not, doesn't make up for what she's lost, but he's demonstrated that he has not forgotten her. That God has used the sacrifices of Ruth and Boaz to give Naomi hope. And so the son, Obed, is born to her. And Obed means servant. And so it's basically this. God, in his wisdom, used a, a Moabite woman, a young Moabite woman and an old Hebrew man, to give birth to a servant, one who would give Naomi hope through his life. You see it? That's why everyone's celebrating that her, her hopes are not dead. Her hope is, is alive. He's a child. He's, he's, he's now her son. A son has been born to you, Naomi. And everyone's celebrating. The whole community's out. They actually give the boy his name. And what it does is it doesn't take away the pain of the past, but it gives hope for the future. That this child is a living hope. In Children of Men, what it does, I'll come back to this, it follows the story of how Theo, an older man, cares for a foreign woman. Uh, she is this young woman, Key, is the first woman to get pregnant in 18 years, and it follows how he guides her to the coast to get to a safe place through the chaos. And what's, there's this astonishing scene at the end. And remember, this is a bleak, dark world, and that's the way it's filmed. There's violence, there's war, there's... There's people just spending their money because they don't know what else to do. They're medicating. I mean, it's just like, it's a parable for modern life. But at the end of this scene, Theo and the mom and this newborn child are hiding out in a building in the middle of an armed conflict. Bullets are flying because everybody's fighting over this baby. And for a brief moment, the baby screams and people hear it. And they hear the crying the sound that they haven't heard for decades. And everyone screams, stop firing, stop firing. Both people on the sides of the conflict stop firing. And that, the, the building they're in is full of people from all the nations. And so as they walk by this crying baby, it time just slows down as you hear in, in Spanish and some African languages and some Asian languages. They just touch the foot of this child as their hope is restored. To, to see that life is not in vain. And so the, they're able to walk out just because, because everybody's worshiping, that their hope is not dead, that hope is alive. That's what's happened to Naomi. Her, before, her future wasn't secure, but now in light of the birth of this child, she has a hope, she has a future. It's all wrapped up in the life of this child. But as soon as they leave the building, the fighting starts again. And as you read the rest of the Old Testament, Obed died. He, he grew to a man, he had children, he lived his life, he served, and he passed away. So what will give you a name that goes beyond the grave? And that's the picture of the gospel we have here. Because centuries later, another young woman is pregnant 
And an older man, Joseph, marries her, covers her shame. And this child's name is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, for he will save us from our sins. When you think about what he came to do, he didn't try and make a name for himself through, through power and money. He came to make a name for himself by becoming weak, by spending himself. At great cost to himself, he redeems us from the curse of the law. I mean, we can say that in the name of our legacy, we've done things that we're ashamed of, that we now know to be foolish. It's sin. And the birth of this child, Jesus, gives hope that there's a solution. If you think about it, just as Boaz was, not, Boaz was not under any obligation to do this under the law, even more so, Jesus was not under any obligation to die for us. Boaz married Ruth because she was worthy. Jesus died for us because we were unworthy. And really, we're not, we're not any different than Mr. So-and-so. I'm not. <laughs> I put my hope, my name, in what I can do, my reputation, what I can earn on my behalf. Not trusting that God has promised to give me a name that's even more significant, that'll last, that's eternal. So Jesus, through his birth and his life and his death, served us. He's a better Obed. And at the same time, he he gives us a secure future. Because until Jesus, every son was born, died. They stayed dead. And Jesus came to restore, to give us a living hope. And that's what the resurrection is all about. I mean, the resurrection tells us that death is not the end of your name. It lives on in Christ, with God. This is why Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, just explodes in praise. I mean, he's writing to people who are suffering, who've been through all kinds of stuff. They've lost their home, they've lost their money, they've lost their family members. And he says, blessed, praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that's kept in heaven for you, guarded by God's own power. That's what Jesus is to you, to us. He's our living hope, a child that has been born to you to say, look, you are going to be given the name that is above all names, that's eternal. And it doesn't depend on you. And so if Naomi could sing and celebrate and dance the birth of a child who would die, how much more should we celebrate? that our sins are forgiven, and that our hope is alive in Christ. So what are you working for? (laughs) What's in a name? What's in your name? Redemption, according to Ruth, tells us we need the birth of a child to serve us, like Obed, who continues to serve us, even beyond the grave. And that's what Jesus came to do. That's what this points to. You know? And if you're saying, I don't know how I can believe in re- resurrection. I've never seen anyone come back from the dead. Well, you're not alone. Jesus was asked that question. Jesus, before the crucifixion, was asked by this group of, of people called the Sadducees, and they didn't believe in resurrection. So they asked Jesus this ridiculous question to try and trap him. 
Right? Jesus, you have this guy, this woman, and she marries a guy and the guy dies. There's seven of them. They're all brothers. And she runs through the whole line and they all die. And so in the resurrection, who's going to be married? Who's, who's she going to be married to? And Jesus turns to them and says, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. He says, don't you, don't you know how to read? Because they, they believed in, in Genesis and, and Exodus, the first five books of the Bible. He says, haven't you read in Moses where God says, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of the living, not the dead. And all Jesus does is, does is say, look, you think Abraham's dead. He's alive. He's with his God. His name has lasted beyond the grave. And God is not ashamed to call him, make him part of the family. That's what the gospel does. If you come to Christ by faith, you are given a name where God looks at you and says, you are my beloved son. And now I am your God. I am the God of, and you can put your name in there. And so that when you die, you die in Christ. And your name continues. It's still you. <laughs> See, we can, we can sing and celebrate even in the shadow of death because Jesus is alive. But the resurrection gives us a name that not even death can take away. One day God will wake you up after you die. He's going to call you by name. And in a blink of an eye, you'll be with him. why the gospel is good news. It's just a son has been born for you. Trust him. Go and learn what that means. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you tell us that we have a living hope, Jesus, who helps us in the midst of suffering to rejoice because we have a name, a name that's promised to us if we would hold on in faith to him, a name that conquers, a name that endures, even death itself. So I pray you would help us to trust more deeply the work of your son who died on our behalf, who lived the perfect life, who died the death we should have died, and rose again, thinking of us by name as he walked out of the tomb. So we thank you and praise you for this grace. In Jesus' name, amen.